Hey guys, this is Bruce, and I'm going to do a live uh, podcast about POAMS, Plan of Action, and Milestones. And this is because a couple of my students have been asking me questions about this, and they specifically said, um, one of them said, uh, what is the content that's on a POAM? And another person asked me, let me see if I can get the other question up here. One of the questions also about POAMS, they said, um, Bear with me here. I'm going through my emails right right now. I got more than one question about poems. And actually, I'm going through a lot with poems right now. And, and typically at a lot of the jobs that are that are paying me large amount sums of money to do this, to do my work, to do GRC work, it's poems is the thing that is the most challenging. And so another person asked me. How do I reduce the POAM plan of action and milestone resubmission? I can answer both of these in a very comprehensive way. So let me start off by saying that if you are interested in knowing more about this, if you want to know more and go more in depth about this, I have a course that walks you through everything you need to know about plan of action and milestones, risk management framework, NIST 800, and if you go to ConvoCourses.com, that's where you'll find it. Here it is right here. If you go to this site right here, there's going to be some free downloadable templates that I'm going to actually walk you through in this tutorial where we're going to deep dive into just poems and the content of poems. But if you go to all courses here, once you get to Convo Courses, you'll see books, you'll see downloadables, free stuff, you'll see free introductions, you'll see audio books, you'll see all kinds of courses. And one of my most popular courses happens to be NIST 800 Foundations. Like this right here is walking you through. If you happen to be a cybersecurity person who's in a GRC position for the government, this is going to tell you how to go through all the process that you need to do a risk management framework, which is NIST 837. This is something I've been doing so long, I could really speak on this all day long off the top of my head. So I decided to make a course about it. It is brutal. It is very long. It's about eight hours of content and I add to it every now and then. And it's downloadables and books and all kinds of stuff in there. So if you're interested in it, here it is right here. It's on combo courses called uh, Information System Security Officer Foundations. And another one that I have, it goes into security controls and the families and what kind of documents you have to do in those families. And uh, that one is is pretty valuable because one of the biggest questions that I that I get asked is interpretation of different security controls. Once you get really deep into this, you're having to interpret different controls. That's how you know you're doing this 800 and information system security officer work. And that one is that one's this one right here. So this one's very comprehensive. This one's even longer than the first one. It is brutal, and I'm I'm always adding stuff to this one right here because I'm trying to cover most of the, the families and the controls. So there you have it right there. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on poems. And out of all the places that I've gone to, plan of action and milestones has been the most challenging. And just let me just explain what that is. So plan of action and milestone is organizations, you're supposed to uh, fix computers, right? You're supposed to we call it remediation or fix the patching, uh, the vulnerabilities that happen on on Microsoft operating systems, on Linux operating systems, on Mac 
operating systems, you name it, and even applications like Adobe or Java or Oracle or whatever, name your favorite product or vendor, they're going to have vulnerabilities. So you're supposed to have a certain period of time that you cover those vulnerabilities. For example, if you had a vulnerability on Microsoft operating system where the username and password they found some sort of error where you can bypass the username and password, right? That's a huge vulnerability. It's a critical finding. So what will happen is Microsoft will, they'll introduce and they will um, create a patch to fix that issue. This happens all the time. You can't get everything right the first time. Applications are pretty much iterative to where they're always fixing and patching and making them better and better and better and improving them and things like that. And so they'll make the patch and then your organization, if you've implemented operating this operating system, Microsoft on, you know, a thousand different systems. Now you got to go and take that patch that Microsoft released and push those out everywhere. Well, there's sometimes there's there's times when you can't push that patch out. There'll be times when you know that if you push this patch out, it's going to break what you guys have. And in these cases, you have to have something you have to have a plan to go forward. What is your plan? If you cannot fix this critical finding within seven days, a week, two weeks, whatever, how are you going to fix those remaining 500 systems that you have that you couldn't fix with a with a push because it's going to break a bunch of systems? And there's a lot of different reasons why a system will break. Sometimes you have a mission application that's developed specifically for a certain version of Windows 20, uh, 2010, or and now they're trying to go to 2011. And it's like, we can't because if we go to 11, it's going to break it. So now you're in a in a situation where you pretty much have to stick with that old system with all those vulnerabilities. And in that case, you have to do what's called a plan of action in a milestone. And what that means is you have to have a plan to go forward to how to fix that. And the milestones are like, OK, first, we're going to do this in step one. Step two, we're going to do this. And step three, we're going to do this. That, that those are the milestones we're going to do step one two and three and we're going to do them in this time frame in the first month we're going to do it here and then three months later we'll have we should have this part fixed those are your milestones and so and those are your milestones to take action thus the name plan of action and milestone now if you're interested in getting this here's how you can get this for free this is just a template organizations usually have their own plan they have their own template for plan of action and milestones but if you don't have one or if you want to learn more and you want to know what kinds of things you can put in there you can actually right now go into my my course on going to combo courses and click this right here we're going to go ahead and download this group of templates its policies its procedures all that kind of stuff and if you want to get the book to go along with that you can but in this case we're just going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and log in and and grab this and this is exactly how you do it and you can log in with your facebook account or your google account or whatever um whatever the case may be or you can make a new account it's up to you by using your email but i'm going to go ahead and log in with my own personal account here and download this here we go actually already have it here and what you'll have once you do download this this template is a a walkthrough a, a complete walkthrough of everything that's in the downloadable zip file that you have here and then of course the downloadable let's just go ahead and download it there it is right there you'll get this zip and this zip has 
not just plan of action and milestone, but as you can see, it has a lot of stuff in there. They're handpicked by myself on that has all the appropriate data that you need for plan of action and milestones for system security plans. And it kind of is a good way to learn if you've never done this before. So it's a great uh, group of templates. And some of the stuff I actually grab from government sites, um, the, obviously these are uh, publicly available. Like I didn't get this from, you know, inside the, these are not classified materials. So uh, let's go ahead and grab a plan of action and milestone. There's a couple different iterations of the plan of action milestones. I'm gonna try to grab my favorite one. So just bear with me here. I'm having some issues. Okay, there it is right there. So here's here's a plan of action milestone template. And I'm what I'm going to do is walk you guys through the, the content that you should have in there. And then I'll, I'll give you some tips on this. So first and foremost, plan of action milestones are, are very, they're not fun to deal with. And the reason why is because Typically, if you can't fix something within a certain period of time, there's some kind of an issue going on with that system. And what I mean to say is there's some sort of root cause that's making it so you can't upgrade it. Either in some of the most common ones, to be honest with you, is that the organization just doesn't have the time to do it. They don't have the bodies to do it. They don't have um, they have a lack of knowledge on on and they don't have the body. Usually don't have the manpower to do it like. You, you just don't have the time frame to do it, to, to actually go. If you had enough people to actually go and fix those systems, those 500 remaining systems, you could go ahead and do it. But sometimes you just don't have it. But sometimes it's more complex than that. It's more about you you can do it. You have the skill set to do it. But your organization has an has old system that it has to remain in place. Because if you don't, if you were to upgrade that system, it's going to actually break something. So in those cases, you just you have to put it off until you have some other fixed action. So this is a it's usually a very complex issue. Manpower issues are very complex issues because you have to prioritize what is more important than these other 500 systems. And a lot of times you have a ton of other stuff that has to come first before these 500 systems that you have remaining. So that's one of the big problems. Another one is old old legacy systems that are mission critical mission uh, that are business essential that you if you try to quote unquote fix it it's going to break everything and you that's going to you know cause all kinds of problems so those are the main two but there's other issues too sometimes if you if you actually patch this thing when you're supposed to it'll break something else like this system would be fine but something else can't connect to what you're trying to quote unquote fix so there's a lot of reasons why you would have to put it off and have a plan of action to fix it later. And that's pretty much what a, a poem is. And one of the challenges with a poem is that they stick. A, there's a couple things. Number one, it's highly visible. Whenever you do a plan of action, a milestone in the federal government, everybody can see it. Every, it's, it's highly visible. It's, it's the technical people can see it. The upper management people can see it. The Everybody, upper upper management, the CIO and the CISO, everybody is seeing that poem. And it's in once everybody is seeing it, there's this fire where people's hair is on fire, right? If they have hair, <laughs> um, they're going out and trying to say, hey, what's going on with this poem? What's going on with this poem? What's going on? And it's just very for a cybersecurity person, for a GRC 
information system security person. It's just like, dude, we have so many other things going on. Like this poem, yes, we have to fix this, but we've got 10 other fires going on. So that was that's one of the main things. It's highly visible. Another thing that's irritating about poems is that it's usually a complex issue, like we're saying. It's 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 something we can't fix right now because we don't have the manpower. So we, something we can't fix because if it, we fix it here, it, it's going to make it so that people can't get in. It's going to there's always some sort of major issue with a uh, with a plan of action and milestone. So it's just those are two of the main issues with plan of action and milestones that I've seen at multiple organizations, regardless of what you call. It. That's another thing. They're called different things at other organizations, remediation plans or whatever. There's all kinds of other plans in the public and private sector, but all industries uh, who are worth their salt have this stuff. Now, let me walk you through what this usually has. Now, whether you are using EMAS or you are using uh, Exacta or some variant of Archer, or if you're using whatever you're using, it's going to have these elements that I'm going to show you that we're going to walk through. So uh, and like I said in, before, if you want to see where I download this stuff from, go to the beginning of this video and I'll show you exactly where to download it for free from my site. And this will, and it'll, you know, I actually have a video to walk you through all the stuff I'm doing right now. So let's just go through this. So number one, a plan of action and milestone, let's hit enable here. A plan of action and milestone is going to always have what system it pertains to. You're going to have who, what, when, where, and why of what is going on with that particular set, those uh, particular security controls. And that's another thing. It's very specific to a security control. It's, it's going to be attached to a specific security control on a, a specific number of systems. And when you do that, the more accurate you can be with the plan of action and milestone, the less nebulous it is, the more specific it is, then the, the less you'll have these recurring plan of action and milestones. Like the, the less you have to redo, you have to bring, have these zombie plan of action and milestones for lack of a better word, where you have to bring this one back to life and then you know, resurrect it and just walk around trying to eat brains. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but this will this will make more sense as I explain this to you. Okay, so uh, so first of all, we got to do the who, what, when, where, and why. So what is this? Let's say it was system system B. That's the name of the system. That's the name of the system, and then the organization also can be important. Org one, because sometimes you have different departments or whatever. You have to be very specific on the plan of action and milestone because they might have uh you might have instances of the same system within other organizations especially with with uh virtualization and things like that going on so now we we've got to have the date very also very important when did we start this thing the date of the plan of action and milestone the date of last updated the date of original poem so you, we need all those dates we need all the dates so the date of this poem so we'll put um, three dates. We'll put date of poem. The first date, we'll just say that the date of poem is today. We'll say it's 2019, 2023, or whatever date, whatever date it is, right? And then we'll say, oh, this, this field doesn't have dates in it. <laughs> uh, we'll just say 19. And then 
it's the 19th on a 23rd. I don't know if this is this field might not not might not uh, be allow us to do it, but let's let's just see if it will. Okay, I put today's date, which is 219. All right. So the other date it's asking for is um, we'll leave all the other dates blank. But the point is uh, date of the late the the last update date of the original poem. Let's say all those dates are are the same because we're doing this for the first for for the first time. So the 19th today. All right, so the next thing we got to do is the name of the ISSM. Now, there's different names for the ISSM. This is the Information Security Manager. It could be the manager. It could be the ISSO, who basically whoever is managing this thing. Their name and phone number, their contact information needs to go in this field. Very important. That's another thing that's important about the plan of action milestone is the who. Who is responsible for this? Who are the stakeholders? You might need to put more than one name in here. Who, who is going to be the person to track this thing down? That's the person you want to put on this plan of action and milestone. It may not be you. It may be somebody else. It might be a system administrator. It might be whoever is going to be the person that everyone talks to about this thing. And that, that's the name. Normally, it's going to be something like an ISO, an information security officer, or a GRC policy person, or it can even be a project manager. It could be any one of those. Okay, information system type. Um, if you have different information systems, then you would want to put the type or the unique ID identifier for that system. Some some systems will have like a number, a eight five three four or whatever it is. You know that a nomenclature that is unique to that specific system, or have the GSS that's that specifies that it's a GSS general support system, and then the number the numbers on the system is one 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 five two or whatever, you know, so that, that identifies a specific system, uh, that, uh, that we're talking about here, or you can just put the, the system name there. Okay. So now we've identified who is responsible for this. We'll just say Bruce Brown, and then we'll put the email, his, his email and his number his phone number. We have a contact information. We have the what system it is, the name of the system attached to the organization. And we have the the, the time frame that that system uh, was created, that that plan of action and milestone was created and or updated. Now let's get into the guts of this thing. So all of these fields, we've got to get nailed. We got to nail this down. If we don't nail this part down, then what will happen is we'll have a zombie. We'll have a pile. With that and that's just something I just made up. Like they don't call it a zombie, but that is exactly what happens. Is is one of the issues that you have in many organizations. I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this in private sector, public sector. I've done it across different federal agencies, different federal departments, and I could tell you it's the same problem that keeps happening. Um, and I understand why, and and it's in the private sector as well. Um. What happens with plan of action and milestones is they stick around sometimes because the organization wasn't specific with what was supposed to happen. Now, if they're specific and they're actually tracking it, you can close out the, po the poem on time. But what happens if it's not specific? It's, it's not sp specific to different actual systems. Like you don't list all every system that this actual plan of action milestone um, pertains to then it just it just it's going to last forever you can never close it and if you're not tracking it and it's 
it's one thing to actually be specific about it and say, okay, these systems are here and this person's going to um, be in charge of it. And here are the weaknesses and here's justifications. But if nobody is tracking it and taking action on those plan of action and milestones, then it's also going to last forever. It's just going to keep, it's just going to stay there and because nobody's checking it on a regular basis. And this, that's also something that happens quite often because you just, as a plan, as a cybersecurity person, you have all these things going on. You have all these priorities going. And sometimes these plan of action milestones just become like forgotten and just, they just linger. And what's what, and the problem with that is when you have a, an assessment or something, people are like, Hey, well, what is this? At some point, somebody else who, who's going to come in there and say, well, what, what is this? What is this thing that you guys have going on? What's going on with this? Have you guys fixed this? And people are going to be like, I'll get back to you on that. I don't know. You know, because it's been there for two years or whatever. So that happens quite a bit. And that's that usually happens when they're not specific about what's going on or people aren't tracking it on a regular basis. That's that's kind of what happens. Now, let's get into this. One of the first things you need to have is an identifier. You got to identify um, an item identifier is going to be a unique. I believe this is where you're going to put it. Yeah, you're going to have a unique identifier for that plan of action and milestone. Now, regardless of what system you're on, it needs to have a unique identifier because a lot of times, if you have a thousand Windows systems with you know uh, a thousand different controls, you, it, it's very easily to get lost. It's very easy to get these things lost. So you've got to have an identifier for every single weakness. It's, it's the best way to do it, especially if you have multiple weaknesses across multiple different systems. So let's call this um, identifier system. And this is done different ways for different uh, organizations. So um, but they'll have usually some kind of identifier that identifies that specific point plan of action and milestone. And, and then the weakness. Uh, it's, it's very important to have to have one plan of action, one weakness per plan of action and milestone. And I, I know how that sounds because sometimes you'll have multiple weaknesses on a million systems. But the, the reason why is because if you want to close these things, if, if you have 15 different weaknesses that you're identifying with one pl plan of action and milestone, it's going to be very difficult to to close it out because you you can't close the poem until you fix all the weaknesses. So either you're going to have one system with all the weaknesses and you're going to fix all the systems, all, all the weaknesses on that one system or the reverse. You'll have one weakness with one or 15 systems. Right. Either see that it's got to be a one to many or or a many to one it can't be a many it's not a good idea to have a many to many Me meaning many systems with many different weaknesses not not a good idea because it's too hard to close it okay so one weakness for multiple systems is what we're going to do so the weakness is let's say the deficiency is um we have to do um we haven't done a risk assessment risk assessment um needed because maybe we identified that this system hasn't had a scan hasn't been properly assessed in quite a long time maybe since since the time that it was created it's never been assessed and then we discovered that it hasn't been assessed in quite a long time so we're going to say it's a risk assessment that's needed and then that's our a we're going to connect that 
to a specific control. That's another thing. So I'm going to describe a couple of things here. I think that's RA2. So um, the weakness, here's the, here's the thing about the weaknesses. So the weaknesses can don't have to be just technical. In other words, like you ran a scan and you found, um, um, I don't know, the username password, password is weak, right? That's a very technical control that you can find with with scan scanner tools or whatever and it's very super technical like you got to go into the system and actually literally change the configuration of the weakness you know make it more difficult or make the password more complex or whatever right but you can also have weaknesses that are not technical you can have them so that it's based on the pop the prop process like we're doing here the process is they haven't had a risk assessment and it's needed that's the deficiency you can also have them to where it could be a physical issue, like maybe it's the ish, the place that you have is not secure. Too many people have the have a way to get into that facility or maybe the window doesn't have a alarm system on it. So it can be a physical control weakness. It can be a documentation weakness. It can be a process weakness or it can be, of course, a technical weakness. But we've got to specify that and the details. We want to get straight to the point with the details, but sometimes uh, we have to explain. Let me see if there's a place where we can actually explain the weakness in greater detail. Identify by usually there's a place where we can actually explain it. So I don't see it here. So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to explain the weakness right right in here. So we're going to say um, weak uh, needed uh, risk assessment needed um, system has not had a risk um, impact. Let's say if the organization needs, everybody has to have a risk impact assessment. And this one didn't have, did not have one forever. And it's a server. It's a, it's, it's 15, it's 15 servers and the system has to have this scan and then it has to have a report or whatever report is due. Um, last quarter was due last quarter okay so there we go we've we've described it and we're going to go ahead and let me just do a word wrap on that okay point of contact is going to be um james ridley we put a point of contact it's always got to have somebody that you can reach back and talk to and maybe james ridley is the is the risk assessment guy and he's he's the lead of the risk assessment team or something like that and they're the ones who do the reports or whatever right so um there's we've identified the ism and now we've identified the person that you have to talk to about this actual plan of action and this specific uh plan of action milestone let's let's keep more specific with this one this one's going to be identify item identifier is going to be um we're going to call it poem system b underscore one one two three because system and the un, the thinking is it has to be a unique identifier and system b might have 15 different plan of action milestones and we have to be able to identify that specific plan of action milestone with that specific system with that specific weakness so it has to be very unique okay resource see the very more specific we are the better the more we can get rid of this this particular weakness and that's another thing. Let's go back to deficiency, uh, weakness deficiencies. And let's say that let's list the systems out. We'll say systems include, and we'll say it's 10 
8888 just so we don't get <laughs> I know that, that that's that's not a, an IP that exists but I'm just making one that doesn't exist on purpose <laughs> so pe some people are not like hey Bruce works for our department he's giving out our IP addresses trust I'm not doing nothing like that so um 99999 so we we've, we've identified a range of IPs that let's say that there's 15 systems and they're all servers in that in that range of IPs or whatever. And normally you would actually list them out by like you can list them out by either IP or you can list them out by system name or whatever the case may be. But every system that has this deficiency should be listed for that one weakness so that we don't have recurring poems or the same poem doesn't keep coming up for that. If it is something that comes up again, it's a different poem with a different unique identifier. You know, so because that does happen, but we don't want the same poem resurfacing, right? That's that's kind of the name of the game. All right, so resources I required. So what we need is we need uh, the system scan team, system scan teams. Um, that's one resource. We need, let's say, Nessus. Maybe that's what the Nessus and we need Qualys or something. I don't know. Whatever tools that they use uh, for that for that scanning. And then the scheduled date. This is very, very important. So this is the whole purpose of this plan of action milestone is the when. When and who's going to do it and what and the why, everything. But when is super important. Schedule completion date. We're going to say we want this done by 6, uh, 5, 2023. Right. So that's our that's the scheduled date that we want it done. Milestones with the completion dates. Now, milestones, thus the name plan of action and milestones. Like this is where we say, OK, on this date, we're going to do this on this date. We're going to do this. Let me just give you an example. So on we said that it's supposed to be done by 6, 5, 2023. So that means that let's say by uh, February of. February 28th, this poem is going to have, so I said February 28th, 2023, by this time, we're going to reach out to scan team with details. And let's say that ISO does this, ISO, we'll just put ISO there. So then the next thing we want to do Let's say the next thing in the milestones is going to be they've OK, so they meet them and then we give them time to maybe they meet two or three times. And then let's say by. Uh, April. The 15th. We're going on 2023 or whatever the year is, we're going to. Conduct scan discovery. I'm just making stuff up at this point, maybe they have to run a discovery to make sure that all the systems are online, to make sure that all the systems that we're going to scan are within scope or whatever they have to do. So there's some sort of scan discovery they got to do, and they have time to do that because we're going to say that they have, let's say, two or three weeks to do that. So let's say that by 4-1 of 2023, we want to identify, identify, and fix, remediate 
remediate, if I could spell right, remediate systems. And then when that's done, we're going to do a conduct a rescan to make sure that those systems have been remediated. So we've discovered the systems, we identified and remediated the systems. And now by, let's say, 5th of uh, Cinco de Mayo, we're going to say 2023, we're going to rescan systems. We're going to rescan, rescan systems. And the reason why we do this, because we want to make sure that our fixed action worked. And then you probably want to give you always want to give yourself a little bit more time. So if it's <laughs> it's a big one, this is kind of like in Star Trek, you know, Scotty, they always say, Scotty, when's the engine? When are the engines going to be fixed? And he's always like, it's going to take me, Captain, it's going to take me 15 years. You know, he always <laughs> asks for more <laughs> because in engineering, that's how it is. Like nothing ever works the way you think it does. And you always want to manage the leadership's expectations. So you always want to give yourself way more time than what you need. So let's say, um, let's finish this out. Let's say by the sixth, no, by five, we did a rescan and we're going to double check everything. And let's say um, we, well, okay, well, that's it. We're done. So by the fifth, by the 6th of, I mean, the 5th of June, it's complete. But we gave ourselves a little bit more time with that. See how we did that? We gave ourselves a little bit more time in there so that um, if there's something that happens, we can always come back and, and go back and rescan or, or refix things. So we gave ourselves almost a month to go ahead and fix that stuff. Changes to milestones. I see if there's any changes whatsoever, then we would put the status of those changes of, of what's going on. The stat, actually, the status is over here, but there's any changes to the milestone, you would annotate them over here. So let me give you an example. So one, let's say the change is we needed more time. So we said, um, we said uh, request, requested a extension of due date to, let's say, we would ask for another month, seven, seven. 2024 or whatever whatever the date is i don't know so uh 2023 okay so there we go now let's go to the next section so we we let's talk about all the sections here so we talked about the identifier unique identifier super important because you might have multiple weaknesses on multiple systems and you need to identify a specific poem to that specific system with a specific weakness and that's why the the unique identifier for every poem is very important then we, we identified the actual weakness. We spelled out and explained in simple words what the weakness and deficiency is. We attached that to a security control, a NIST 853 security control. We have a POC. So who do we talk to? We're going to talk to James Ridley when we go, have to go back and ask, hey, what's the scan team doing? Well, when are you guys going to get this done? Or did you guys already meet that milestone? And then another thing, resources required. We already know it's the scan team's job, and they're going to use Qualis as the tool. And then we're going to identify the actual schedule that is needed. Like we want this done by the 6th, uh, by the 5th of June of this year. And then we have milestones. We broke down all the steps that it's going to take to actually get this done. And we have to check back with this. This is where pro project managers are super important because you have to have several meetings. This is another thing that's very irritating about plan of action and milestones. 
is that you got to have multiple meetings. I already told you, like one of the things about plan of action and milestones that's very annoying is, is that they usually have some complex issue and it's not easy to fix. It's not it's not easy fix. Right. If it was easy, it'd be vulnerability management could just magically wave their wand and they fix it and we're done. But plan of action milestones not like that. They usually have some complex issue that they can't just fix it like that. Another thing is that everybody sees these plan of action milestones. Everybody and their grandma sees it. Like you got the freaking president of the United States and Congress. Sometimes literally Congress sees plan of action and milestones. Do they do anything about it? Hell no, but <laughs> they can see it. So there's systems that they can see the plan of action and milestone. Why isn't this fixed? Congress has mandated that this thing be fixed. It goes pretty high. The CEO sees it. Your, C your CISO sees it. Other people, other departments see the plan of action of milestone. It's very visible, which makes it pretty political because people are like, hey, what's going on? What's happening here? Why is this thing done yet? And the other thing is that probably the thing I hate the most about plan of action of milestone is that you got to have so many damn meetings. Every plan of action of milestone has to have at least one or two or three or 15,000 meetings. Like you're not going to have too many plan of action milestones with zero meetings. Unless it's already supposed to be closed, then you can close it. But typically, you got to chase them down. You got to talk to everybody or their grandma to get it fixed. It's not. It's it's just a, so much easier to just fix it than to, than to have this zombie walking around eating people's brains, you know, <laughs> sucking up people's time and energy. I hate plan of action and milestones, but that's what people pay me for. So let's get back into this. And I see you guys' questions here, and I'll get to that in a second. Let me just get through this. We're almost done. We're almost done here. So we tell, we covered the actual milestones we and the changes to the milestone. If there's any kind of request to change or something that happened where we have to switch out different milestones, that happens all the time. You have to go ahead and fix that. Weaknesses and identify weaknesses and deficiencies identified by what? Like how do we find this thing out? So there's, there's a lot of different ways you can find these things out. And just a few, just to name a couple, is like if you had an IG, a recent inspection if you had a recent um vulnerability management um scan a vulnerability management scan would identify some of these things that's one thing if you had a recent inspection like an ig or some third-party assessor came through from whatever department and they said hey we identified that you guys haven't scanned this thing in a while like what's going on or hey we identified that you have weak passwords you don't have a map you don't have MFA installed. You don't have, you name it, right? Audit logs are off. Like, what's going on with this? So those are all things that, that come up. Um, another one would be that you're just doing a routine. You're just a cybersecurity guy, and you're just kind of looking through the documentation. You're looking through, you're scanning, doing whatever, doing your job, and you find something. You're like, oh, man, this is not, and you find this stuff all the time. This is not, you know, it's, it's not like you're suddenly hacked. Like, hacks happen, breaches happen often, but you know, not as often as you're going to find a vulnerability within your organization, right? You're going to find because you're seeing the guts of what's going on. You're seeing broken processes and you're you're seeing uh, systems that are not logging correctly. You're seeing. So you see these things all the time. So they're just asking, how are you identifying it? How did you catch this thing? And you would us identify here. Let's just put something here. Let's just say that uh, it was identified by IG inspection. IG uh, eight, eight, seven you know, inspection, whatever. Oh, okay. So now this one is risk uh, level. Like, is it a low, um, a medium or a high? So in, in some organizations have critical, 
you know, so it just depends on how they how they are labeling the impacts. But for the purposes of this, we're saying it's a low, a medium or a high. Which one is it? So we're going to say that this was a medium because it hasn't had a scan in a while. And sometimes the medium, the low, medium and high is going to be dependent on, let's say, if you had a scanner and the scanner identified it as a high. Sometimes you would go ahead and adopt that their their risk level if if applicable but sometimes you you would come up with something else based on your own risk assessment will determine whether it's a low risk or 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 high or whatever estimated cost this is just like i usually calculus by by hours i calculate this by hours like how many man hours is going to take to fix this thing and if it takes i uh, if if i know it's going to take I don't know, 15 days to fix it, and it's going to be five different people fi fixing it, then um, I will calculate some calculation where I'm calculating how many hours it's going to, those hours into to what we're paying, you know, the average salary of a person doing their job, right? It's just a guesstimation of how much it might cost to do it. But it could be very specific. It could be like, we need this part. This part we know costs $400,000, we know this cost this cost three hundred dollars so we you would put that number there plus the the man hours that it took to install it or whatever so for the purposes of getting through this let's just put four thousand five hundred based off of how many people are going to be working on that particular system and how how many hours it's going to take to do it and then the status the status right now is it's not started we didn't start it yet um because we didn't we haven't come to the date the first date of the milestone not started but it could be that it's in progress. It could be it's delayed. It could be whatever the status is there. And then the comments, of course, is going to be whatever. If there's additional things that you need to put in there for the next person to see is, is what you would put in there. So these are all the things that you would put in a plan of action and milestone. Just to wrap it up for you real quick, some of the things I hate about plan of action and milestones Um is that like I said, it's it's a lot of meetings usually for one plan of action or milestone. It's usually a complex issue that you can't just you can't magically wave your your wand and fix it. You're gonna have to dig and figure out why it's broken and meet with a whole bunch of people to fix it. And then also the visibility on it. The, these things are very very visible and they they just don't go away. And you've got everybody and their mom talking about it. You have upper level managers asking you about the specific number of that poem and they don't know the, 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 the complexities of what's going on with that. So sometimes they'll get all in their feelings about stuff that they don't know, you know, they don't really know what's going on, but we in the weeds know what's going on. And we know that, Hey, I know you're worried about this one, but there's 15 other things that are way worse than this, by the way, you know, but you're not going to say that in a meeting. You know? <laughs> So those are the things I hate about plan of action milestones. Are they necessary? Absolutely, absolutely necessary. What you don't want to do, some of the things you don't want to get wrapped up with on a plan of action milestones, some of the gotchas is that if you don't make it specific, it'll last forever or it'll keep resurfacing and you can't close it. So you don't want to do that. You want to be as specific as possible. That's a gotcha. If you are not very specific with the who is going to close it and who's going to be involved with it, and uh, the why of why you're even opening this in the first place and not fixing it, the justification of why you're not fixing it. And the if you're not very specific with the who, what, when, where, and why, when is this thing going to be fixed? How is it going to be fixed? Then it can just go on forever. Another thing, gotcha, is if you're not monitoring it. Because a lot of times poems are already done, they're closed, but they're not monitoring it. And then it just kind of lasts forever. So those are kind of some of the gotchas 
with it. If you fix those things, if you answer those questions, then it's actually not as hard as uh, as I'm making it out to be. All right. So I'm going to open this up to questions. I was actually trying to do a non-live and I, and I accidentally did a live, but <laughs> I was going to do a live and then schedule it later. But I guess we're doing a live here. So let me see. JP said, um, the only issue with vulnerability scans is, is that they cover all controls. A scanner cannot check the, for deficiencies with process, procedures, policies, and, or, or PE controls. The only issue with vulnerability scanners is that they don't cover all controls. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the distant nature, JP made a great, let me just post his question here. JP made a great point. Like, that's the one thing when you get into cybersecurity, you you tend to be like, you start to think when I first started, I was very tools centric. And a lot of people who don't, who are not in this industry or who are out on the outskirts of it, like your project managers who are just, who are just coming in or your IT, you know, people are, are new. Um, what you don't realize is that the tools only get you so far. You know, and that's why when people say, oh, AI is going to take over everything, it's like not, no, no, not cybersecurity just yet, because you still have to do physical walkarounds. You know, you still have to do physical checks. You still have to do wireless checks, you know, like there's hidden rogue wireless APs that an AI is not going to, you know, you're not going to just AI yourself into just doing vulnerability scans and then fixing everything, because that's not how that's only one, that's 5% of all security, you know, or less. So like JP is saying, you've got policies and procedures that you got to walk through. You got to go through all of those. And, and those need to be within requirements of the federal government. Can, can AI help you with that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You can have an AI where you feed in all the documents and it just scans it and says, okay, is this, is this FISMA compliant? Is this OMB compliant? Is this, hey, you're missing... J, uh, GDRP for this policy for privacy or whatever, you know, you could have that and those tools will be helpful. But in the at the end of the day, cybersecurity, I stand by this, is a human problem with human issues and humans got to fix it. You know what I mean? The AI is just a tool that's going to help us, a very great tool. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to you got to do physical security. You got to do environmental controls. All that stuff wrap, is wrapped around our our security posture. So that's the way that we're going to get from here to there as far as managing the risk for our systems. All right. Thanks for that comment, JP. I appreciate that. Michael AI says, what questions do you ask a future employer on an interview? What is the what is your red flag? What questions do you ask a future employer? What is your red flags? Um. Uh. For, for me, personally, I haven't done many interviews. I have done a couple, but my for me, the it's not necessarily a red flag, but it depends on the position. For me, I'm usually trying to, whenever I do an interview, I'm looking for a person to fit into a certain role. If it's a, if it's a cybersecurity role, and I know our organization is dealing with very difficult customers, I might be a little bit more lenient on technical stuff. And I just want somebody who's very flexible. And so in that case, the red flag would be this person's not flexible. This person has a, a bit of a, is a little bit arrogant. 
um, and this person doesn't have patience. In that particular position, I want somebody who's emotionally intelligent, who has a lot of patience, who it's probably somebody who's older and more mature, or rather old mature, rather, not necessarily older, because, you know, young people can be very, very, very mature. But I just need for somebody in that position, I'm going to need somebody more. For me, looking for a manager type, director type, I want somebody who's who's going to listen to people. If they're not willing to listen, they come in and they think they know everything. That is a red flag. And that's a red flag for me in every category. If they're trying to lie and bullshit their way through it, that's a red flag uh, in any category. Um, if I'm looking for a more technical person, I'm looking for somebody who's who's teachable, who's willing to learn, somebody who's creative, and somebody who listens. Yes, I need somebody who knows the basics. I need to know that they know what ports protocols are. I need to know that they know basic uh, basic best practices and security. If they don't know anything, but they're teachable, that's something. If they don't know anything and they're willfully stupid, they're willful, they're willfully ignorant and they're, they're bullshitting their way through it, then no, that's for me, that's a red flag. So red flags for me would definitely be, they think they know everything. Um, they're not willing to learn. They're not flexible. They're arrogant. For me, I would not hire a person like that. They can go somewhere else. They can start their own company, but they ain't working for me. Um, so I need somebody who's willing to learn. Even, even if they don't know anything, if they're coming and they're excited and they want to learn stuff and they're willing to listen. And that, that kind of person is who I want on my team because we're learning together. We're developing together and we have we have a problem we're going to work on together as a team. And even if we have a hard challenge, we can get through it together. That's that's kind of how for me personally, um, that's how I uh, approach it. Let me see. Um, related to ISO or SCA role. Oh, okay. Just answered that one. Same. It's the same for SCA and, and ISO roles, Michael, for me personally. I, I really want people who are willing to learn and, and listen. And um, for me, that's that's a big thing. Uh, Navi says, hey, Bruce, what will you do if, if you are semi-retired and only need to make a 40K per year? What I would do is um, I'm getting close to this to this uh, this reality right here. So here's what I would do. I, I discovered a little hack. Check this out. And you, this is not really a hack. It's just like, you know, it's just something I discovered on accident that I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> this is this would work. I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do. So so let me show you my screen here. I'm on LinkedIn. If you guys didn't know, I have a LinkedIn account. It's publicly available. Here it is right here. If you type in uh, Bruce CISSP RMF, you'll find me. And I usually, uh, I don't really have any, you know, <laughs> if you if you join me, I'll join you back. So, uh, so what I would do is do this. I would say uh, cybersecurity, uh, what, what job would, would I actually look for? Um, I would look for policy writer policy writer. Yeah, I will look for a RMF policy writer. Job. Check this out. Check this out. I'm going to look for jobs. And then I'm going to filter by part-time jobs. I only need 40k a year, right? So um, I'm just going to look for some part-time job type, part-time. 421 and I would just get one of these jobs technical writer 
well, this is probably not specific to what I'm trying to do, but maybe Bulls Allen Hamilton part-time job. It pays pretty good, but I'm just looking for a part-time job, part-time, mid-senior level. Yeah, something like this is what I would do. Something like this where I'm working from home, doing part-time work, writing. That's one of the things I would do. Another thing is I would do, to be honest, Nobby, is something like this. Something like where I'm doing content creation. Um, I, I happen to really love content creation. I write books. I do videos. I do courses. I'm, I'm prop, I could pull down probably 40K just doing this and just travel anywhere in the world. So I would do a combination of part-time work. I would do a combination of doing this kind of stuff where I'm just teaching people and just making book money off my books like a little, it's not much, but it makes it making about, you know, that combined with the part-time jobs over 40, to be honest with you. So um, that's what I would do. That, that's, that'd be a good one. Um, and then JP says tech writer, tech, tech pay, jobs pay more than 40 K. Uh, you're looking at more than six, probably about 60 or 80. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm talking about JP, we're talking about doing a part-time. So it, but even part-time, you're right, it probably still would make about 60 because they pay pretty good. Yeah, so that's, that's probably what I would do personally. Um, and uh, wouldn't be a half get, bad gig. I mean, think about it. You can go to a cheaper – you could live in somewhere like Romania or uh, – shoot, like Romania, I don't know, um, name a place. Uh, you could probably go to – I don't think there's too many places in Western Europe you could really go, but all the, the entire Southeast Asia would be good. You can go to Ghana, couple, just about every country in Africa, with the exception of part of South Africa. You could live off of your money if you're Thailand. Oh my lord, yeah, Thailand, exactly, man. Like you could live there and just be making like forty thousand a month, living like a damn king. Mexico, my lord, Mexico would be huge. You know, not so much Costa Rica. I think Costa Rica's like it's Hawaii prices there, but Mexico, man, like living in Mexico. And people talk bad about some of these places, but it's just like any place in the United States. Like if you Detroit, a uh, parts of Detroit, not even all of Detroit, parts of Detroit, South. Okay, good example would be compare South Side of Chicago to, um, I don't know, uh, Kona Island, Kona in um, Hawaii. Kona, if you've ever been to Kona and Big Island, Hawaii, is amazing. It's beautiful. It's very, it's very wealthy. That place is amazing compared to South, the South Side of Chicago. <laughs> but people talk about Mexico like it's a monolith, like everything's bad, like everything South Side of Chicago, everything is, uh, I don't know, name a bad place in Mexico. It's not all like that. Like there's some amazing, rich, wealthy places there. That you could, that you or I could go there and live there for forty thousand dollars a month, a year, thirty thousand dollars a year, and do really well. You know, on on average salary, writing part time, writing the technical work. You know, doing some half ass technical work as long as the internet's good. Thailand, Thailand as well. Thailand, Philippines, um, hell, I think even Bali, you'd you'd be able to ball out over there. You know, on forty thousand dollars a year. I've been to Romania. I love it there. Um, is a little dirty though, but it's cool. Yeah, Romania's. It, I've heard some stuff about it. Like I heard, it's the the prices are pretty cheap. And and then recently, I've been seeing some images from it for obvious reasons because it's been on the news. <laughs> 
which I'm not getting into, but <laughs> I'm like, damn, like Romania looks pretty nice. You know, maybe I'll check that out one of these days. Thanks, Bruce. Working for myself uh, is the is the way to go. Part time is is uh, part time with freedom. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of which direction I'm kind of leaning lately because I'm in my old age. I've got some. I got a few years ago, though. Alani uh, says, uh, hey, Bruce, I'm a vulnerability assessment uh, analyst working on STIGs and software releases. I'm about to take an ISO role. What is your advice? OK, advice for an ISO. This is coming from somebody who literally has written the book on ISOs. My advice is to go go buy my book. This book right here is going to walk you through. I feel stupid advertising my own stuff, but seriously, this is a dope book. Um, this book right here is dope. It's going to walk you through one of the most challenging parts of being an ISO. Um, you can find it on Barnes and Nobles. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on, um, I don't know, in, just anywhere you can go and it, it's there. And uh, or on my site, combocourses.com. Uh, and I have an audio book for it as well. Read by the amazing Frank Block, by the way. So listen, my advice is this. Number one, let me show you some free resources before you go buying anything. Let me show you some some free resources and then I'll, I'll put you on some on some some serious some serious game. Free resources. So number one free resource is going to be this site right here. This is um, and I'm this is NIST. Let me see if I can uh, show you guys the the link here. This is the NIST uh, Computer Security Resource Center, and it has all the controls. But some of the documents that you need to read, let me just type a couple of them in. NIST 837. This is source document for you. If you want source documentation, this is one of them right here. NIST 837. And then another one is NIST 853. Uh, those are the two main ones. Those are the two. There's other ones like FIPS 199, FIPS 200, which are literally like eight pages long. This is not a difficult read, by the way. Um, you don't have to read the entire thing. Read it like a, man, like a, a reference guide. The parts that you want to pay attention to, let me see if I could take you to the, the parts that you really want. Okay. This is the part you really want to pay attention to right here. This is the index, right? So this index is breaking down these steps right here. These sections right here, this right here is what you want to pay attention to. Prepare, categorize, select, implement, assess, authorize. This tells you what you need to know. So if you want source, this is one of your best sources right here. Another document that you want to check out is NIST. 853, 50, whoops, dash 53. And let me show you why. This will make sense in a second here. So 853 has all the security controls. It's it's kind of intimidating at first because you realize that there's like over a thousand controls in here and this thing's like 500 pages long or something stupid. But 
You don't have to read the whole thing. This is just a reference guide. So just like in the other one, what you want to pay attention to is the sections here. See, these, these are all the control families of which there's only about 20. And so what you need to really know is how the families work. You don't have to memorize every single security control, but you need to know how the, how the families, what each family is all about. And so in this book right here, in my book, that's what I do. I focus on the families. I focus on the actual families and what you need to know as an ISO going through the families. This book right here, Risk Management Framework, NIST 853 Controls. And the guide is just like this. It's just a guide. That's all it is. It's just a guide. And, and this is not a replacement for the actual NIST 853 controls, which has which has a thousand plus controls. But it's just going to be a helpful way to interpret each family and then what you really need to know. I don't waste time with all the other stuff. And on the audio book, it kind of goes into stories and all kinds of stuff. But that's just to give you a reference point so you can understand what's going on. Um in a way that's not academia. Like I'm trying to give you a practical way to understand each one of those. But those are the sources. So what advice do I have as an for an ISO? Okay, so number one, emotional intelligence is super important. I know what you hear on TikTok or on YouTube or on social media is like you got to hacking and like, you know, like, oh, programming this and chat um ai and all this kind of stuff and to be honest with you the most important piece of grc and information system security officer is is emotional intelligence because you're going to be dealing with people who you're going to be dealing with difficult people man i'm just going to tell you that like you, you they don't know people do not talk about this but you're going to have to as a cybersecurity person in general you have to talk about talk to people who are in their feelings because you you told them about a security control that has to be implemented. You had, and it's not coming from you. You're just the messenger, but they want to kill the messenger. So you just have to be patient, be kind, see things from their perspective, and don't get, don't, don't take things personal. Don't take things personal. Remember, this is not your system. You're you are you are a messenger in the system. That's your relaying information. That's how I see it. And that's why I don't get too bent out of shape when I'm in a meeting with some freaking Karen who's tearing me apart live, give, give me a public execution. You know what I'm saying? Because she's not executing me. She's, ex she's, she, they're going crazy about their own processes. All I'm doing, I'm just the messenger, you know? So that, that CEO or whoever could be mad all he wants, but I'm just, I'm very uh, methodically, professionally and objectively relaying information. Don't, don't get too much in your feelings about stuff. Another thing I would say is CYA. I mean, cover your ass. Make sure you uh, document everything. When they tell you to do something, document it. Um, that means that could be email, by the way. It could just be email. Like if they said, your manager said um, on the phone, they call you and say, okay, look, we have this plan of action, a milestone. This thing has to go out to everybody. Make sure that um, make sure that this and that and A, B, and C is, is done. And that's it. They click, hang it up. Then you need to create an email of everything, summarize everything they just said. And then send it back to your manager, right? And the reason why you're doing that, that might sound, for from the manager's perspective, they're going to be like, wow, this, this person is articulating everything I just said. I appreciate that. But from your perspective, you are covering, you're doing CYA. You're covering yourself because now you've documented everything they told you to do. 
So they can't add anything to what they just said. And if they do, you can be like, well, you told me to do A, B, and C. You didn't tell me to do Z, Y, X, and B. You know, so you're documenting everything so that you have a record of what you've done and what they've told you to do. Because what a lot of times in as an ISO, what they'll do is very it can be, get very political. And this is why a lot of IT guys don't like doing this because it gets political. People get in their feelings about it. And, and I'm telling you, cybersecurity is a very uh, it's a very human issue because it's it's people who are. Is people hacking other people? Is people making mistakes? Is people getting their data breached because a person hacked into another person's account? It's it's a very people-oriented problem. So that being said, you know, it's we have to deal with these issues and we have, need to write everything down. And when they tell us, email, email is your friend. Use email to document what they're saying to you. That way you can keep a record of it and they don't come back. When, when things get very political and say, well, I told, didn't I tell you to do X, Y, and Z? And you can be like, um, you, you know, if they told you that, you know, you need to follow through with it. But if they told you something that's out of pocket and they didn't tell you that, then you have a, a document saying, no, on March 15th, this is what you said. Here's the email. So let's get this done. So those are my, my two biggest things is that don't take things personal. Use your emotional intelligence. Be patient. Be kind. See things from their perspective. Um, another thing would be, would be, um, document everything CYA. And, um, those are probably the main things I would say that besides the resources of uh, NIST 853, NIST uh, 37. And you know, if you were in a different industry, if you were in PCI compliance, I would, I would point you to those references. If you were in the hospital, you know, doing healthcare stuff, I would point you to some HIPAA, some HIPAA references. You need to know your industry to do GRC. So those are my, I hope that helps, Alani. Okay, let me see. Navi says, oh, somebody said, Michael says, Navi, what do you do for yourself? Navi's the man. That's that's Navi's job to be the man. <laughs> All right, let me see if, let me see what I got going on here. Let me see if there's any other questions. My intentions on this one, guys, to be honest, was to just do just do a live about the plan of action and milestone process because I got so many questions back to back about it. And I'm actually struggling with that right now. Not struggling, but I'm uh, at my job. I'm currently going through poem stuff and it's just. Typical, typical poem stuff. So I thought I would talk about it. Um, let me see if there's anything else before I let you guys go. I wasn't my intention to, to kind of open up topics, but working for DOD. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, uh, if you're working for, are you working for any branch? You don't have to say it, but if you're working for any particular branch and another thing I would advise you to do is look through their, um, through their actual policies. Like uh, Army, for example, has AR 25-2. Read through that one. You can just kind of skim through it to get an idea, but you'll see that that document links directly to the documents I just showed you. And then Air Force has, oh man, I can't even remember, 31, 101 or something. I can't remember what it is. I haven't worked for Air Force in a long time. But each branch of the military, even DISA, they have their own, um, I don't want to say flavor of, of, of NIST, but they have their own policies that will reflect 
it has their own like acronyms, which is very annoying actually. So the Air Force has their own acronyms, Navy has their own acronyms, Marines have their own acronyms, and it's all pretty much saying the same stuff, but they're in their own language. And then they have different roles. The roles are all named differently. It's it's very annoying because they're all using NIST 853. They're they're using NIST 837, NIST 853. So the, and for that reason, I can go to any branch and I know exactly what's what's going on. Like I know exactly. I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is this control, this is that. Oh, this is the plan of action milestone. They're calling it some Comnav Mar poem five eleven. You know, it's a poem, right? Is but they're calling it some Navy something. You know? So they. So that's the great thing about AR-25-2. Yep, that's the one you want to read right there. But as a, another thing is uh, NIST-853. And if you ever get out, if you uh, want to expand on uh, your knowledge base outside of the DOD, then the NIST-837, 853 is the way to go. Because here's one thing that surprised me when I start working outside of the Department of Defense is that every federal agency and government department all use NIST 837 and 53. All, 100% of them. Um, there might be a couple of exceptions. And then also outside of the department of the federal government, a lot of them uh, use, will rely on the, the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework and the NIST 800 controls. So, so yeah, there you go. And once you do this work, man, there's so much work out there. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have to scramble for a job or anything. Um, let me see. Leon Taylor says, "Thank you for the nuggets uh, you've dropped this evening. I'm looking to pursue a role as a ISO someday. What do you do right now, if you don't mind me asking, Mr. Taylor? Because." Um, you, you might be in a better position to go in another direction, but definitely it's a work and really um, GRC stuff in a, as a whole is is pretty lucrative. I mean, it pays pretty good. It's really stable. I I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I'm not going to lie to you guys and say I make $200,000 a year or anything like that on a job, um, maybe combined with all the stuff I do, but not on a job. You know, I have not made that much money, but I know of people who have done that and all over TikTok, all over social media, they're like, oh, I make 400,000, I make 300,000. That's not me. You know, and I'm just telling you the truth. But what I will tell you is I'll make like 130, but it's very stable. And if even if this job loses their contract or whatever, I'll, I could have a job in days if I want to, because there's so many jobs out here for doing this kind of stuff. So it's so work is very, very, it's, um, it, there's a lot of jobs out here for what, for what I do. And that's that's why I'm telling everybody as many people as I can about is it, like it's recession proof. And Leon says uh, just transitioned into IT help desk. Oh, wow, that's great. So I would say, Leon, like and if anybody else for Navi to everybody else, you want to give uh, Leon some advice. Let me just give you my two cents. Uh, first of all, this is a great career field. To get into. Put, put a little bit of time on the help desk, and then what you want to do eventually is specialize in some field. It doesn't have to be cybersecurity. I, I just talk about cybersecurity because that's what I specialize in, but it can be networking. It can be in um, 
It can be in programming, if you like. It can be in cloud. Cloud's pretty hot right now. It can be in AI, like AI prompt engineers. I mean, that that's crazy. Look that up. Google that. Um, so there's, there's a lots of things that you can actually specialize in. But the reason why I say specialize is because once you start to specialize, that's when the real money starts. When you specialize in in this or that thing, whether it, it doesn't have to be cloud, doesn't have to be cybersecurity. I'm not saying anything in particular. I could tell you a couple ones that are hot right now. Cybersecurity is not going away. Cloud technologies is on fire. Anything dealing with AI, the stuff that I'm mentioning are probably the most hot. But you don't have to do those things. You can do networking, network engineer. You can do software engineer, whatever, you know, but specialize in something. And that's where the real money starts coming in. But congrats on getting your foot in the door because a lot of people contacted me looking for just that. And it's one of the hardest things to do, to be honest with you. All right. Let me see what else is going on here. Just some conversations happening. And this 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 tells me that what I really need to do is is I really need to get more into like the chat aspect. I probably would you guys recommend that I do? Should I do discord or should I do a Facebook group? What do you guys recommend that I do? Any any preferences? I don't have a preference on what on either one. I hate Facebook and I'm not super familiar with uh, Discord. I mean, I've done I've used it before, but um Oh, there's some advice for you, Leon. Go ahead and get your Security Plus. Yeah, that's a great great advice. Security Plus is is great. Discord JP. Okay, so I got somebody saying do use just Discord. Any other suggestions? I'm gonna start a so that you know when I'm not on lives, we can continue to chat and talk throughout the day. Or if somebody needs advice, or I can post the jobs. I have a newsletter and I send out jobs, but I get so many that it's not practical for me to send them all out on in one place. So I'm thinking about if I do it on a group or Discord or something, I can just start posting them all on on discord in like a discord channel or a discord server and then post all of them on um or or a group or something or maybe both which one do you guys recommend i got discord so far and i got thumbs up for discord discord another one live call probably i could do that on discord so that's good where people can call you for call you one minute per person um yeah, maybe uh, maybe on Discord I could have people jump on calls. Any other any suggestions? Discord is the only one I'm getting so far that I could, should spend my time on. Any other suggestions here? Anybody? Face? Should I do Facebook group? Any? Do I? Can I get a? Because I have a Facebook group. I can do that. I can actually do both. But what I like to do is just focus on one, build it up, and then then have everybody doing both. But focus on on one. Because otherwise, I'm, I'm doing too much. Discord. Okay, I got two discords. I mean, with Discord, we would have to be able to do like live back and forth. So that that would be cool. Any other any other takers? Discord is good is good. Some people are doing Slack. 
Yeah, Slack wouldn't be that wouldn't be bad. Uh, the other one is that people I see people using is um, what's it called? Tele. What's that one called? I can't remember what it's called. Let me see. Bruce, you could do private consultant consulting if you have time. Some automated bookings are 30 minute calls. Um, actually, I, I did that for a while. Microsoft Teams. Yeah, that's a good one. I did that for a bit. Like I was. I took this. I, I started um, in the summer. I took like four months off where I was just doing my business. I was just doing these. I was doing back lives every day. And um, it was cool. And then I start taking live. I start taking calls, and um, it it's cool. It's cool to do to do lives. But what what frustrates me about the calls? The I mean the call, not lives. What frustrates me about the calls is that people are asking me the same question on the calls, and um, the reason why it's frustrating is because. If I do a call a video like this, like today, for example, I did it on plan of action and milestones, right? So literally a bunch of people just ask me that. And I'm like, I can either do one-on-ones with 10 people or I can do a live where hundreds of people will see this. And I, and it's kind of like people will pay me for my time, but I'm trying to do maximum impact. If that makes any sense, it just it's frustrating to me that I'll do one hour with a person and then that person gets the benefit of what I just said. But I. I could have done that with a hunt with a thousand people and I would have much more of an impact on like five or six people will actually listen to me like five rather than one person who paid me. I can do this. I can I can talk like this. And out of a thousand people who will eventually see this video. I'll get like 10 people who it'll impact their life forever. There'll be 10 people who will watch this video and something I said will change their life. But not I'm not saying I'm not saying that I won't do it again. It's just that was something I wrestled with. I'm like, damn, you know, I just gave this person like <laughs> uh some drop some bombs on this this person, but I could have I could have released this video to half a dozen people and got a more of a, I don't know, I, I might still do it, but yes, to answer your question, I've done consulting calls and I still might do them once I, it's the job for, for me right now, honestly, it's my job. Like I, I'm so drained from my job that I, to do one-on-one, 15 one-on-ones, it's just like, I don't want to do it. You know, I just don't want to do it. I'm too drained. But when I was off, when I actually was just doing this full time, I was doing, I was doing lives a couple like maybe once a week or something like that. I have an approved COE via VetTech. Where can I get the best training for CISSP and CMMC? Okay, can anybody answer this question? Anybody, this question right here, this one right here, anybody have any kind of, I've got a couple CISSPs who are watching me right now. Do you guys have any kind of, suggestions for this person who know they want to know where is the best place they can get a CISSP and CMMC training. CISSP training uh, hmm uh, for me see the best CISSP training that I got was by just buying 
buying a book, like the official guide, and then going through that myself and just studying the book. That was my best training. Um, I took notes on it and then studied my notes. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but outside of that, maybe if you were going to a college, which is going to take you way longer, and then they had a boot camp inside the college where you get a degree and you get the CISP, that's probably the best. But to be honest, like if you already have a degree, then just save your money and just <laughs> go get buy a book, study the book, and then take the test. And then as far as CMMC, what they're really going to be looking for is experience. And um, for that, where would you get experience? Hmm. Um, for training, you can just publicly available stuff you can do for training. But boot camps cannot cover enough detail. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm not into boot camps, to be honest with you. So if it's if it's a boot camp, I would do. The only way I would do a boot camp is if it's involved with a college, like I'm getting a degree and then they ha happen to have the side course where you that's why I would do that. But Navi says uh, CISSP, read the book and do at least 3000 questions. There you go right there, man. There you go. This man right here knows what he's talking about. That's this is exactly what I did. I read the book, I took the notes, and I took thousands of questions. I took so many questions. They've got places where you can find questions. Like they have the a database of questions that people people go on there and add questions that you they're not from the test. They're not exactly not supposed to be exactly from the test. People just put them in this database and then you just read those questions. And after a while, the questions start to sound repetitive because you've read them 15 different times in 15 different ways. And then you start to get an idea of a pattern of what's of what you're going to witness when you take the test. So you some idea, not exact. It's not going to be word for word what you saw on the test, but it's going to have examples of what you could see on the test. Because there's like, I don't know, five or six different iterations of of the test. They don't have one test. There's like four or five of them. And you're going to get one of those tests. So. If you read 3,000 questions after you've studied, you need to study first. But after you study the book, take 3,000 questions and then just read them over and just go over until the point where you're having dreams of the questions. Like when you sleep, you're like having CISSP questions. You're like, oh, I had a nightmare, you know, and then you wake up and you're like, damn, I got to take this test. Okay, so let me see here. Yeah, congrats, Michael, on your on your CASP, man. CASP is, is no joke. The CASP is no joke, so congrats on that. Let me show you. Security, if we go to the security, I love going to the site right here. Security certification progression. So I'm going to Google, and I'm typing in security certification progression. And let me show you my screen. I just typed in security certification progression. And um, one of the first sites to come up is, where's this dude's site at? I'm looking for Jeremy, pauljeremy.com. I don't know who this guy is, but holy crap, I love this site. Yeah, so this has all the certifications. And just to give you some context, CISSP is here. 
as you go up, as you go up on this chart, it's it's higher and higher levels of certifications. So as you go to the bottom, those are lower low level certifications. So, so to give you an example, um, to give you a, a some insight into this. So the bottom certifications are, let me give you one, ITIL Foundations, which is like a it's it's a question. It's a it's a test with I think it has twenty questions, very easy IT questions on it. And then another one at the bottom here is let me see if I can find another one that I recognize. The only one I recognize is ITIL Foundations, which is a pretty good entry level certification. Because believe it or not, it's actually pretty marketable. Um, I see CC on here. Oh, wow. Look at that. Did they put CC on here already? This dude is no joke. Is that what that is? Yep. Certified in uh, cybersecurity is on here. Look at that. It's the CC. And you put it down here at the bottom. Anyway, so the ones at the bottom are the lower level certifications. And if you as you work your way up, these are higher, higher and higher technical, like all the way from beginner to expert, all the way up to these ones up here that are, you rarely see anybody with a, G, a GSE, you rarely see anybody with a CCIE that's up there, CCIE security, that's pretty rare. ITIL master, $4,000 certification. And then the CISS piece concentrations are up here. Those are upper, upper levels, very focused certifications. And then the CISSP is like right here. It's upper, upper level like expert, the bottom level of expert is where CISSP is. And then if you go middle middle tier, like above middle tier is the CIS, the CASP. The CASP plus is a pretty good certification. Pretty good. And a lot of times, to be honest with you, it's on the same level as CISSP. Whenever I hear, I hear it talked about, it's, there, it's considered on the same level as CISSP as far as what the government will take, you know, regardless of your opinion of what, what is what. But the government will take either one of these um, if you're looking for a high level position. They consider those on the same level, um, usually. Let me see if there's other certifications on here. There was one I wanted to check out to see if they had it on here. They have the CC certification. This man is pretty busy on the cert chart. Let's see if. Oh, he didn't update the cap. So this should be called. The, hey, Jeremy, Paul Jeremy, if you're watching this, you didn't update this, man. Just to, point some, just to point this out, this is now called the CGRC. It's no longer called the cap. There it is right there. The, the uh, governance, certified in governance, risk, and compliance is now what this one's called. Pretty cool. But yeah, this is, if you want to see this chart right here to see what, it's a really good gauge on what certification you should get. Just go to Google and type in, well, the guy's name is Jeremy, pauljeremy.com. But you can also look it up by just going to Google and type in cybersecurity progression chart, and you'll you'll see his site. Pretty good breakdown of everything. And then he also maps it by, let me see if I can find the other thing he's got. It's pretty cool. Um you got another breakdown that looks at, where is it? Oh, he might have taken it down. He had this other one that broke down the nice uh, cybersecurity. Oh, here it is. 
So this is the cybersecurity workforce framework that's used by the government to figure out to it. What it does is it focuses on different categories of cybersecurity. And he's broken it down by, and I wish I could make this bigger for you guys, but I, no, I can't make it bigger. Um, can I download this? Nope, I can't download it. Because I want to make this, I want to enlarge this so you guys can see it better. But anyway, so the red up here has, is securely provisioned, which is, uh, securely provisioned has your assessors in there. It has your test and evaluation people in there. It has, uh, what else? Um, research and development in there. And then your green is operate and maintain, which is your information security. No, this is operate and maintain is your, your cyber, your, um, your knowledge managers, your database administrators, your system administrators, people who are maintaining the network. And then blue is overseeing govern. This is your information system security managers, your CIOs, your CEOs, people are managers, cybersecurity managers, stuff like that. Then you've got protect and defend, which is uh, cyber defense analysts, your security analyst, your security, uh, your cyber defense analyst. Then you have analyze, which also has some analysts in there as well. This is analyze has a lot of your Intel people. But it also has a um, target network analyst, your target developers, your threat warning analysts, um, and also security, uh, cybersecurity analysts as well. Then you have collect and operate. This is all 100 percent um, Intel guys, like people like cyber operators and then investigate and investigate your forensics, data forensics people and people on CSI, stuff like that. So that's your that's your chart right there. And it's a breakdown, has all the different jobs and all the different categories in there. And then it has price ranges. If you look up here, this little ticker that goes, ac goes across goes from uh, anywhere from 80 to 70,000 to 220,000 and above. And you can see that the guys in blue have most people that are, un that are over $120,000. Because those are your CEOs and things like that. So this is a pretty good chart. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. I appreciate everybody um, who came. I had no intention. My intention was just to teach and then release this later. But I, I was looking. I was like, oh, crap. I'm I'm live. <laughs> so I just said, uh, okay, I just rolled with it. But all right, guys. Thank you so much. I've got another video coming out, I think, tomorrow. Um, and I, I'm going to have more lives coming out and, and, and put them out as much as I can just to kind of continue the conversation. I see you guys telling me that I should do Discord. Maybe I'll do that so we can continue the conversation at all times. That would be really cool. But thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll, I'll talk to you next time. See you tomorrow.